Hi guys, and welcome to another episode of Horror Nights In with your host, me, Crystal. So tonight we will be discussing the girl in the photographs. I will be giving you my honest and horrific opinion, and if this is the first time you've heard my voice, shame on you. Just kidding. <laughs> Hello and welcome. I upload a new episode every Saturday because I have no boyfriend or husband that I know of yet. <laughs> be sure to follow me on all my social media platforms as well. So before we get into this evening's podcast, I just wanted to give a shout out to all the, uh, the people that I've been talking to on Twitter this week. Um, I'm really super excited to be a part of this horror community and I'm thankful that I finally figured out how to use Twitter <laughs> so that I can interact with everyone in the horror community. I just want to say thank you so much for everyone that has listened, um, everyone that has DM'd me, retweeted me. Um, liked, commented, all the above. Just thank you guys so much. This is only my third episode. My channel and uh, my podcast, my Twitter, everything is really small still. And I'm just so grateful for everything that I've been able to do so far. This is just such a passion of mine. I love sitting here talking about horror movies. I love interacting on Twitter with everybody and being a part of, you know, this whole horror community. I just think it's so great and I wish that I'd started it sooner, but I'm happy that I'm doing it now. So, and also just want to let everybody know that this evening, Saturday, October 27th, I will finally be seeing Halloween. I am so fucking excited. I've been counting on the days to see this movie and I, I just can't wait. I'm so excited. I've been trying not to read any reviews. I'm trying not to, you know, get any spoilers. Um, I'm so, so, so excited. So today is such a good day. I am going to see Halloween and I'm putting up my podcast. All right, guys, let me stop talking and let's get into this night's podcast. So if you have never listened to one of my podcasts before, I start with the Rotten Tomatoes rating. I do an IMBD rating and then I give you a quick synopsis of the movie and then I go into great detail of the movie and at the end of the show, I add in, you know, any Easter eggs, any fun facts that I found. Um, so yeah, let's get started. So Rotten Tomatoes gave the girl in the photographs a 15% with 21% of the audience liking it. And IMBD gave it a 4.5 out of 10. <laughs> so the girl in the photographs was released April 1st, 2016 to limited screenings with a running time of 95 minutes. It was directed by Nick Simon. He also wrote it along with Oz Perkins and Robert Morast. It was also executive produced by one of our horror heroes, Wes Craven, before he died. And this movie uh, was rated R. So the synopsis of this horror movie is that a young girl in a small town starts to receive photos of brutally murdered girls and is on a mission to see if they are real or fake. Side note, I watched this movie about two years ago, and I remembered liking it, uh, but wanted to revisit it for this evening's podcast. So the movie opens up with quick photo flashes of girls covered in blood and some eerie piano music and a quote on the screen by William S. Burroughs that says, There is, in fact, something obscene and sinister about photography, a desire to imprison, to incorporate, a sexual intensity of pursuit. Um, so for those of you who are not familiar with this man, he is an American writer, Well, he, and he wrote Naked Lunch, and he is known for his untraditional insight into drug culture. So as the movie begins, we see two friends walking out of the movies after seeing a horror movie, aka me, 
the name of the movie is called Blood Relations. And I did do a tiny bit of research to see if this movie was real, but I didn't really find anything on it. Um, but anyways, this is, seems to be a fairly small town uh, because the, the movie theater that they're seeing this movie at is only playing one movie. And it's at night and it seems to be pretty quiet for what I assume is a Friday or Saturday night. Uh, so we start to follow our first victim, Janet, to her car after she she says goodbye to her friend, Brittany, who is uh, played by Christy Carlson Romano. I don't know if you all are familiar with that. She was Ren in the TV show on the Disney Channel, uh, Even Stevens, with Shia LaBeouf, when Shia LaBeouf was very young, uh, before he went a little cuckoo, but um, I don't judge. So anyway... As Janet is walking to her car, she passes a red truck, which I think is a Bronco, and it has bullhorns on the front. Uh, as I mentioned, I did watch this movie a couple years ago. I think this is the killer's car. Would make sense. Um, so as she pulls away, the truck starts up and proceeds to follow her home. We are then with her in her home, where it looks like she lives by herself. Uh, she starts putting her things down, and she switches on a lamp. To reveal someone is standing against her living room wall and is only visible to us. Uh, this person is also not wearing a shirt. He's pretty large and I think he has a mask on too. Um, side note, I live alone so these kinds of movies literally make me pause them. Make me pause them and search my house for masked villains and kidnappers. So I will definitely be checking my apartment like four to five times tonight especially after watching this movie and doing the podcast. Oh, and also after seeing Halloween. <laughs> uh, so anyway, <laughs> we are following our victim as she changes her clothes and goes into her kitchen to get a snack. And that's when the creepy fat guy snatches her up. Uh, the next scene is two cars facing each other on a desolate road, one of which is the red Bronco and the other is Janet's car. Um, we hear Janet struggling, but we're not 100% sure where she is. Um, she's actually in the backseat of her own car. So the driver from the red Bronco gets out, walks out of the car where Janet is bound, and starts snapping photos of her. The bigger guy that was in her house then opens the, the, the door, and Janet tries to escape, but because her feet are bound, she trips and she falls. All the while, the other guy continues to take photos of her with a creepy mask on. Um, so obviously these two are working together. They're accomplices. Um, the one the one who, uh, they both have masks on, but the one, the photographer, his mask was, um, had like painted on makeup with mascara running down his face. And it was like smudge blue eyeshadow and smudge red lipstick. And his partner looks to be wearing some kind of like weird old man mask. Um, if you guys look this movie up, the photographer's mask is actually uh, the cover of the film. So super duper creepy. Um, it reminds me of like the Stranger Things and, and um, I'm sorry, not the Stranger Things, <laughs> the Strangers and the Purge. Um, so now they're literally in the middle of the road. And so Janet is on, um, is lying on her back totally bound, still screaming. Photographer is like sitting on her and taking photos of her and the big larger guy is standing right next to them. And they're literally, as I said, they're in the middle of the road. But since, um, so I'm just wondering like, what happened if a car decided to drive on by? Uh, but since this is a movie, I let it go. 
It definitely has some Texas Chainsaw Massacre vibes with the flashing and the distorted pictures and the wind of the flash charging. So I was into that. Um, we then get to the next scene and it's in the creepy basement um, with the creepy photographer. Uh, he's printing out photos of Janet that he just took. Um, this one in particular, though, is her on a mattress and her face is bashed in. So I have to assume that these are the photos that our main character will be receiving. Uh, the scene ends and we are introduced to the town of Spearfish, South Dakota. Uh, I did pause the movie and look this town up. It is real. It only has about a, it only has about 10,000 people living there. Uh, we then meet our main character, Colleen, played by Claudia Lee, who was also in Kick-Ass 2 and The Outcasts. It looks like she works in some kind of town convenience store and she is the opener of this particular store. So as she walks in, we see that the killer photographer has placed the photo he prints out of Janet in the middle of the corkboard. So Colleen immediately calls the police. We see that she's now at the sheriff's department and is arguing with them and asking for the surveillance camera to move to face the bulletin board and not the front door at her work. But they cut her off explaining they need to see the front door in case somebody breaks in. <laughs> um, she also mentions how many more of these does she need to find before it becomes an issue, which suggests this isn't the first one that she's found. Uh, the police assume the photos aren't r even real and chalk them up to be some kind of like street art when she points out that they are numbered on the bottom. This photo of Janet being number seven. So we have to assume that she's received six other photos before this one. Um, our main character then gets a text from a guy named Ben apologizing about last night and asking if she got his flowers. So we have to assume that this is her boyfriend. Um, we then move to the next scene and follow Colleen home where it looks like she also lives alone. Uh, we then see her in her bedroom looking through some magazines and she comes across one that is very similar to the dead girl in the photo she keeps finding. So it looks like whoever is committing these crimes is paying homage to the photos in this particular magazine. And what I mean by that is it seems that the killer photographer is posing his victims the same way that these poses are in these magazines. Um, so then we are back to the creepy basement with the same photographer and he is staring at a photo of Colleen on his computer. So we can assume our photographer is obsessed with our main character Colleen. The scene reminds me of something um, straight out of Silence of the Lambs where Clarice realizes Buffalo Bill's first victim was someone he saw every day and what he coveted every day. If you do not know this reference, and then I suggest you pause this podcast, go watch Silence of the Lambs, and come back to me. <laughs> and then you'll understand the reference. So we are then introduced to our next character, Peter Hemmings, who's played by Cal Penn who we all know from Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. In this movie, however, he is playing a pompous LA photographer, and his works include American Clothing, which is this movie's versions of American Apparel, aka the magazine that Colleen has when she realized that they were in the same poses. Uh, you guys know the Colleen line with the risque photo shoots, mostly showing nude models. They kind of got into a scandal, uh, I think, a couple years ago. But apparently they rebranded themselves, so good for them. So anyways, Peter Hemmings is reading a blog online about his how his photos are being replicated in the photos that Colleen is finding. We then find out that the victims are all in their early 20s. And we also find out that Peter is from Spearfish, 
South Dakota. His character, like as I said, is is a little pompous. Um, so we'll see how it develops and how it fits into the movie. He is also under the assumption that whoever is posting these photos throughout Spearfish is doing it as a nod to him, and he wants to see these photos. I also feel uh, his character is a homage to Terry Richardson. If you don't know who this is, he is a pretty famous risque photographer. He takes a lot of pictures of celebrities. I think his biggest ones he did were Miley Cyrus and Kylie Jenner. Those all went pretty viral. Um, so anyway, so now we are back with Colleen and her mediocre boyfriend, Ben, has just dropped her off at work after she insisted that she was fine and could take care of herself. We follow Colleen as she opens the store and we see there are no new photos on the bulletin board. We then see the red Bronco pull into the back of somewhere, which I have to assume is the back of her store. Uh, so now we have the kidnapper and the photographer easily open the back door. And I'm like, hmm, shouldn't that be locked considering there's a serial killer on the loose, especially one that knows where she works? <laughs> but once again, letting it go, it's a movie. Uh, so the music is building and we see that Colleen is doing some bookkeeping in the back of the office while the other two are walking around looking for her. Um, remember, the the, uh, the store is closed at the, at this point. Um, I'm going to assume they're someplace completely different because it's a little too early for her to have an interaction with the creepy stalker photographer guy. Um, and I was correct in my assumption that the two kidnapped a completely different girl. Side note, even though the photographer is wearing a mask, the actor who plays him is doing a really good job with his head nods and his shoulder shrugs and things. So if you watch the movie, um, just pay attention to the scene in particular. Uh, it's pretty quick into the movie. Um, it's just really cool how he's acting, even though you can't see his face. Um, so now we are back in LA with Peter Hemmings and his band of followers being his assistant, his conceited model girlfriend, and two other models, a guy and a girl, that he'll be using for his new campaign. His new campaign, of course, taking inspiration from the killings and Spearfish. Um, he's going to make the models appear like they're dead to either copy, entice, or please the person who is actually killing these girls and Spearfish. Uh, he, says, he says that whoever is doing this is stealing his idea, um, and now he's going to steal it back so that he can make a bunch of money. Uh, and I'm sure you can all guess the setting for his new photo shoot is Spearfish, South Dakota, his hometown. So the crew sets out on their road trip to Spearfish and upon arrival pull into the same parking lot Colleen pulled into the first scene of the movie. And what do you know, the irony of this scene is that the red Bronco is parked right next to them. And Peter says how he wants to photograph with the truck. So his assistant gets out of uh, one of their business cards and writes on the back, like, please contact us. We want to use your truck in our photo shoot. So they all make their way into the convenience store that Colleen works at to get supplies for a small party that Peter wants to throw that night. So Chris Peter's assistant, played by Kenny Wormold, who I know from the remake of Footloose, is super cute. So I'm digging the little flirty vibes between him and Colleen as he goes to check up or he goes to uh, check out. 
So uh, Peter Hemmings noticing this little flirtation vibe between them is definitely a comic relief because he's so arrogant and pompous. Um, he sees that Chris is into Colleen and patronizes him a bit and also invites Colleen to their little party that night. Uh, just a side note, they bought Odul's Amber Beer, which is which literally has the smallest content of any beer. So I just like to, I notice weird things like that in the movies. I'm sorry. I just wanted to bring that up. <laughs> um, so as the gang is leaving the store and driving away to their destination, we see that our demonic photographer has gotten the note from Chris asking to use our truck for their ad campaign. We then follow our photographer to a small house located uh, somewhere outside the town in the woods, which I assume is where he's keeping his victims. And it looks like this is where he lives too. He also has a little bit of some OCD tendency, tendencies uh, with how he fixes the cans on his shelves as he walks into his house. We then find out that the girl he has kidnapped is actually Colleen's friend, Jill. We also see that he keeps his victims in a cage with a little flap that opens just big enough for him to reach inside. He also treats them like they're cats by saying, here, kitty, kitty, and he only feeds them cat food. This is the first time we see his face with a mask, and he's played by Luke Baines, whose facial features are actually quite stunning. Um, I know this actor from Truth or Dare, the TV version of the movie. Um, so he, he starts taunting Jill with her own cell phone and starts taking photos of her. He then goes through her call list and calls her mother, taunting her with the phone again in the little flap door. And as she goes to grab the phone, he pulls her head out. So he pulls her arm out, which causes her head to also come out. And the other guy, so his accomplice, wraps a belt around her neck. So he does call her mother and she doesn't pick up and it goes to voicemail. Could you imagine that voicemail? That's so disturbing. I don't even want to get into that. So anyway, now we're back to Colleen and she's texting Jill that they are going to a party tonight, aka Peter Hemming's party where Chris will be. Colleen then calls Jill, but she doesn't pick up. Jill then texts her asks, asking about this party. Then I assume it's actually the photographer texting her. Uh, it then, and yes, it is. It is actually the photographer texting her back, the crazy one. It then pans to our two killers in the basement, and he's the one texting her while the other one is sawing Jill up in the background. <laughs> um... So the next scene is the house party, and I want to make a little side note here. I'm definitely getting some Scream 2 vibes, um, which would make sense considering Wes Craven is the executive producer. So back to the party, we see that Chris is panning through photos of him, and I have to assume either his ex-girlfriend or his current girlfriend, or never really find out exactly um, if they're still together or not. Colleen arrives shortly after and sees there's no service, and second guesses herself for even being there, but she goes in anyway. She rings the doorbell and Chris answers. So um, they're over getting a drink. They're making small talk. When Peter decides to join in, Peter is oddly fascinated with her. And he has his camera in his hand and is basically like talking to her, but taking pictures of her with his camera. And the flash is in her face. She pretty much freaks out and says like, stop, like, I don't want you to take my picture. And ends up like pushing him and he falls backwards onto the couch. Um, he then again is oddly fascinated by this. Um, so she wants to leave but Chris urges her to stay. Um, so then as Colleen is about to leave, 
She gets to her car and she sees that a new photo is under the windshield wipers and it's Jill's face with no skin or eyes. So I, I have to assume that Colleen does not recognize Jill in this photo. Um, so the next scene is the sheriff's department at the house and this is where Peter discovers that Colleen is the one who has been finding all the photos. Colleen is trying to reason with the police um, and Colleen being beyond frustrated, she leaves the party and she goes home. She then get home, gets home to see that her boyfriend, Ben, is in her apartment watching TV. Uh, her boyfriend then starts patronizing her about going to the party alone, and they get into a fight. She accuses him of being the one of putting the photos everywhere she can find. Um, she's under the assumption that he has been messing with her this whole time, and that the photos are fake. Um, she then uh, kicks him out, and he is going to leave and he is greeted by our two psychopaths who snuck into her apartment building. Um, so then we're back with Colleen in her bathroom as she's watching her face. And as she bends down to rinse her face off, we see that the two killers have entered her apartment to put her boyfriend's wallet on her bed. And then they leave and slam the door behind them, which causes her to, you know look up from washing her face and um she once again assumes that it is her boyfriend and then she gets a text message from Jill and the text message is so disturbing she says sorry got tied up couldn't make it to the party which is a little fucked up considering she was literally tied up before she got her face sawed off so as you guys as I said before uh the photographer has her phone the killer photographer has her phone and he was the one texting Colleen. So it is now the next day and we are with Chris as he is looking at the photos of, he's looking at a photo on his phone of um, the dead girl in the photograph that was under the windshield wiper. So he must have taken a photo of it before the police got there and he notices that the number eight is on it. Uh, he then goes downstairs to see Peter trying to figure out the correlation between the killer and Colleen in quote, Silence of the Lambs, which I did earlier, um, and how the killer is coveting Colleen. Peter then is afraid that the killer is going to replace him, so he tells Chris he wants to only shoot Colleen, and he wants to do it in his studio in Los Angeles. So he basically wants to steal Colleen away from the small town murderer. Um, we then see that Colleen is planning on leaving town as well. Uh, we're not sure where she's going, uh, we just know that she basically like gives her two weeks to her manager and she wants to leave town, as I would too. Um, so she's at work and she is she's on the cast register and we see this we see our creepy killer photographer um, come up to the register who is purchasing only one can of cat food. He makes small talk with her and we find out that his name is Tom. He then tries to compliment her and ask her what her plans are for the weekend, but she is distracted when she sees Peter and Chris at the store as well. So with her attention back on Tom, she tries to tell him that he can buy uh, cat food in bulk at a discount store, and he says that he doesn't think that his cat will live much longer. So obviously we know that he doesn't actually have a cat. He hoards humans in his basement. Um, so that was creepy. Uh, so now... Tom leaves, and um, Chris and Peter 
go up to uh, talk to Colleen and Chris asks her if she has some time to talk to Peter. Peter is basically offering her to come to LA to help her get away from the creepy stalker killer. We also know that he's using this situation to his advantage. Um, he's trying to convince her that uh, she is his muse now. And Chris is also feeding it into as well because he has a crush on her. Um, she ultimately agrees and Peter says they're going to have a slumber party that night and will be on the first plane to LA in the morning. Uh, Colleen then says she needs to go to her apartment and grab some things. And Chris offers his, his services to tag along. She also warns him that if her ex shows up to honk twice, but we all know that he's not going any, or that he's not showing up because he is in a cage in the creepy photographer's basement getting fed cat food. Um, the next scene is when we see Ben locked in the cage, um, covered in blood, but he's still alive and he's pretty pissed. Um, and he's basically saying, uh, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna fucking kill you when I get out of here. Um, and I have to assume that his murder is probably gonna be pretty terrible considering he treated Colleen like shit and Tom is in love with Colleen. Um, and Tom very calmly says to him, uh, you won't be doing anything when your body is in two separate garbage bags in an hour. So that's creepy. <laughs> um, so the next scene is kind of not necessary in my opinion because it just shows a lover spat between Peter and his self-conscious model girlfriend jealous over the fact that Colleen is there and that Colleen is now his muse. We then see that the duo psychopaths are outside dragging Colleen's body to the house that they're staying at, that, that our um, LA people are staying at along with Colleen. Um, and they are carrying two bags behind them, and Tom kept his promise that Ben's body would be in two garbage bags. Um, we then get a sex scene. We see some boobs just over the one hour mark between the two models Peter brought along to do the first initial ad campaign. Uh, Chris then brings Colleen up to his room with two beds. They start bonding over the photographs that Peter took of her the other night when she was pissed. Um... So I think they're about to kiss, but before anything happens, they hear the two other models banging in the other room. Um, so now with a full house, Peter and his girlfriend decide to go to the hot tub. As the two are making their way to the hot tub, we see that the uh, psycho photographer and his accomplice are following behind them. And do I hear a kill scene coming on, guys? I think we do. Um, side note, Peter's girlfriend, Rose, is played by Miranda Ray Mayo, who is known for her role in Chicago Fire, and I hate to hate on her, but she's really not my favorite in this film. She's portraying a bored, egotistical model. I feel like she just overacted a little. It's just my opinion. Um, also, the other two models I mentioned earlier, take them or leave them, I really wasn't impressed by any of their, um, any of their characters. Anyway, Rose gets into the hot tub while Peter takes her photo, and then we see that we see the outline of the bigger killer behind him. And Peter basically walks right into him, and the killer puts his hand over Peter's mouth, stabs him twice in the back, then slits his throat. Um, of course, Rose doesn't see or hear any of this because it's dark out, it's nighttime, and the killer covered Peter's mouth. Um, Tom, our killer photographer, has retrieved Peter's camera, switches the flash on so he can blind Rose as he gets closer to her so that his partner can come behind her and kill her. 
um, she's basically like, stop, like, don't put the flash on. I can't see. Um, so with the bigger guy behind her, he basically takes a towel, puts it around her head, uh, twists it at the top, picking her up, and he snaps her neck all the while Tom is continuing to take photos. So as I mentioned earlier, there's no service at the house. So Colleen says she wants to call Jill to let her know that she's leaving town. Of course, we know that's not necessary because Jill is dead. Um, so Chris tells her that there is a landline in the kitchen. So Colleen uh, goes down to the kitchen to call Jill. And the camera pans to outside the window. And we see our two... Uh, psychopaths are standing outside staring at her in their mask so that was a pretty that was a pretty cool scene definitely reminded me of scream it reminded me of when the victim would be facing us and the killer ghost face would be behind them and without them noticing i liked that scene that was a really cool scene uh next up is the kill scene for the two models that i mentioned earlier who i could leave or take it's quick it's a slice of the, uh a slice of the throat for her a couple stabs in the chest for him and Tom continues to take all the photos while doing this. Uh, it's super bloody, gross. Obviously, I live for it. So now, all we got left is Chris and Colleen. Uh, Chris, being a gentleman, goes downstairs to finish working so Colleen can get sleep. Um, and upon going downstairs, he sees the front doors open and Rose's dead body chilling in the driveway. So is this to lure him out of the house, away from Colleen? I don't know. Let's see. So he goes up to her body, sees that she's pretty dead, and lets out one of the weakest screams I've ever heard in a horror movie. And he does this like little skip um, thing back into the house calling for Peter. He then tries to make a phone call, but not before the killers cut the power to the house, aka totally scream to you guys. <laughs> um, we also see Tom is waiting outside of Colleen's bedroom door, which is closed. So considering it is nighttime, they cannot see and the electricity is off, uh, Chris takes a flash off of one of Peter, Peter's cameras and starts maneuvering his way around the house, trying to find anybody um, to see if anyone's alive. We then go back to Colleen. Um, she tries to get out of the bedroom, but Tom is holding onto the handle. And when she tries to get out, all we hear is the voice we hear Tom's voice saying, not yet, Colleen. Like, super creepy. <laughs> Colleen, realizing she is in danger, runs over to the window. She tries to, uh, there's like a little latch. She grabs the latch too quickly, breaks it, slices her hand in the process. Um, we're then back to Chris, who is still wandering around the dark house. And every time he hits the flash, we see the other killer is right behind him. At this point, I'm hoping he survives. But of course, one quick stab to the back of his head and he's dead too. Uh, now Tom is talking to Colleen through the door and is telling her that no one ever leaves, aka nobody ever leaves the town of Spearfish, South Dakota. Um, or nobody ever leaves him um, alive. <laughs> I don't know, this is just theory. Um, Colleen decides to hide under, the, hide under the desk in the bedroom, which I believe is in plain view of the door as it slowly opens. When the door is fully open, the electricity comes back on and she inches her way towards the door. So we don't hear anything, uh, but the music is building and I'm waiting for something to kind of pop out um, as she's making her way down the hallway closer to the stairs 
she slowly starts to walk down the stairs. And as she walks down the stairs, we see the horrific scene of everybody's dead body on the entryway floor. Um, so she starts freaking the fuck out, as anybody would. She falls, she collapses on the stairs. Tom goes up to her, tries to calm Colleen down, but obviously that's not happening. And he starts taking photos of her as they chase her up the stairs and the scene fades. Um, so scene cuts and we then see Brittany, who I mentioned earlier in the beginning of the movie, um, as she is getting to work. As she makes her way to the front door of her job, she's greeted by a photo that shows Colleen alive, surrounded by all the dead bodies, and then the scene, or then the credits roll. So, afterthoughts. You guys know me, I have questions. Is Colleen still alive? What happened when Brittany called the cops? Did they recognize Peter Hemmings? Is this now some huge Manson-type murder investigation? Also, how did Tom and his we weird hillbilly accomplice meet? Are they related? Um, so I'm sure there's people out there that are like, Crystal, it's a horror movie. Take it for what it is. And I totally agree with you, but I always question all the horror movies that I watch. Um, a couple other things. I wanted to learn more about Colleen. Um, why was she in Spearfish? Where is her family? I wanted more character development considering she is the main character to this movie. Um, I was also watching an interview I found on YouTube with the cast, and apparently this script was the best Wes Craven had read since Scream. Interesting, considering it's, rolling, uh, it's low rating, but, you know, go with the flow. Um, I did like the movie. There were some parts I didn't uh, really need and some parts I wanted more of. I feel like they needed more of Colleen being stalked and less of the whole L.A. thing. Um, I wanted to know why Tom was so obsessed with Colleen. I assume, I mean, she was, she's a very pretty act, or character and actress in the movie, but I wanted more of, you know, Tom and Colleen, not so much the whole L.A. vibe, um, you know, and I wanted to know how Tom um, convinced this, his accomplice to kill all these people. Tom was never the actual killer in any of the, in any of the scenes. He was more of like the taunter, the pursuer. And he took the photographs. His, the guy that was with him doing all of this um, was the one who was actually killing everyone. Um, but I just, I wish that there was just a little bit more on them and not so much the whole LA thing. But I mean, like I said, I liked the movie. Um, I did watch, you know, I would, I would suggest this to people to watch. I want your opinion. Let me know what you think. So, bottom line, don't mess with LA photographers, and of course, rest in peace to Wes Craven. So that concludes this evening's podcast. I hope you liked my description and my review of The Girl in the Photographs. If you liked it, please let me know. DM me, tweet me, let me know your favorite scary movie so I can give you my honest and horrific opinion on it. Thank you so much for listening. You guys have a great day, and I'll see you in my next podcast. Bye, guys. Oh, also, how could I forget... Happy Halloween, guys! I hope you guys have the best Halloween ever, and I will see you guys next week. Bye!